If you want to commit the perfect murder, why is Yellowstone National Park the place to do it? Uh-oh. <laughs> okay, what are the seven natural wonders of the world? Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Where do you want to go for vacation? <laughs> nice try, babe. <laughs> Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Why do you always look at me when you say... Steer clear of crazy? (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) Just an expression. Yeah, okay. (laughs) All right. Who's going to begin? Okay, I'll do it. Okay. Well, Marcia, one of the places people like to go to get perspective is the national parks. But why is Yellowstone National Park... The place to go to commit the perfect murder. Well, (laughs) you're giving our listeners ideas they shouldn't have, I guess. (laughs) Uh, Well, because it's so isolated and there's so many high places to to nudge somebody off. No. Or just push them into that boiling pot of stuff that we walked around. Oh, God, now you're giving people ideas. (laughs) No, no, no. Because there's a 50-mile stretch of Yellowstone that's a legal no-man's land, and there's a campground within it you might want to avoid. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we all know that Yellowstone National Park is in Wyoming, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, guess what? There's a 50-mile stretch that spills over into Idaho. And as you know, it's a very rough territory out there, very rough country. This place is isolated. It has no roads and no human inhabitants. And it also has no legislation that can be used to charge people with serious crimes, including murder. Because it's considered in two states, so no one put laws there? Here's the problem. It, It deals with the Sixth Amendment because that dictates that a jury must be comprised of people from the state and federal district where a crime is committed. Oh, jeez. But since no one lives there, no jury is possible. Oh, and since Yellowstone is federal land, the two states, Idaho and Wyoming, they have no legal right to change the law. <laughs> this loophole was not discovered until 2005. It was by a uh, Michigan state law professor. He published information on it. But before he did, he wrote to government agencies, let them know the problem. Nothing Nobody happened. Saw it. Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> what a surprise. Nothing <laughs> happened. So there is a legal loophole that makes it possible to get away with murder within a 50-mile stretch well, of Yellowstone National a, Park. That's a screenplay waiting to happen. Yeah, well, it actually did. It inspired a horror film, Population Zero, in 2016, <laughs> and a novel, 2008 Free Fire. So, Marcia, if a friend, spouse, or significant <laughs> other says, hey, my GPS can take us to Buffalo Lake Campground, <laughs> okay, think st- twice. <laughs> Yes. Okay, so, Bob, can you name all of the natural wonders of the world? Natural wonders of the world. Uh, I always think of Crater Lake. That's a place we like to go. That is beautiful, but no. Okay. This list is from National Geographic. Can you give me one? Sure. Uh, The Great Barrier Reef in Oceania. It's the largest coral reef system. Oh, that's in right. The world. Over 2,900 separate reefs. Is Mount Everest considered yes. one of them? Okay. Yes. So I'll that, do Mount Everest. I'll do Death Valley because it's the lowest point on Earth. It's not on the, the list. The Sahara Desert not is a on huge. The list. Oh, okay. What are, what's on the list? There's uh, a place that you've been. You've been there twice. Come on. Not that prison. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was just visiting. No, you went there as a little boy. Grand Canyon. Oh, the Grand Canyon. Yeah. 
Victoria Falls in Africa. Oh, yes, that's gorgeous. I've seen pictures of it. And Paracutan in North America. That's a volcano. It's almost six miles high. Where is it? In Michoacan, Mexico. The youngest volcano in the Western Hemisphere and was born in 1943. It's on the list because people witnessed the birth of this volcano. Wow, okay, that's fascinating. What are the other things on the list? Aurora Borealis. That's not on Earth, though. It's around the world. Okay, that's the uh, Northern Lights, right? Yeah, and then the harbor of Rio de Janeiro, the largest bay in the world based on the volume of water. It's beautiful. That's where that beautiful uh, Christ and the Redeemer statue is above the harbor. It's quite stunning. So it's the largest harbor in the world. Yeah, yep. Interesting perspective on what are the natural wonders. And this was National Geographic. Yep. So again, the list is? Great Barrier Reef, the Grand Canyon, Victoria Falls, Mount Everest, Paracutan, Aurora Borealis, and the harbor of Rio de Janeiro. All right. I got a funny one here. Okay. (laughs) Good. I like funny. All right. What popular recreational product was introduced at a British masquerade party and almost resulted in tragedy. (laughs) Now, this is something people use to get around for fun. Chelsea just bought a pair of them. Uh, Roller skates. Roller skates. They were introduced in London by Belgium musical instrument maker Joseph Merlin, who rolled into a masquerade party at Carlisle House in Soho Square playing a violin in 1760. Now, he was unable to stop and turn, so unfortunately, he crashed into a large mirror valued at more than 500 pounds, broke his fiddle, and severely injured himself. (laughs) That was the introduction of roller skates. Oh, that's funny. Didn't have that little rubber thing in the front to stop himself. (laughs) Well, you know, nobody had uh, luck with the first of anything. Yeah. That's good, Bob. All right. Name this person. Okay. It's a prime minister in 1984 who was assassinated by their own bodyguards. Well, that was Anwar Sadat, wasn't it? No. Oh. It was Indira Gandhi. Oh, gosh. I forgot about that. She was walking out of her house, and her two bodyguards shot her down with a submachine gun and a shotgun. Oh, gosh. They were Sikh bodyguards, and they were captured and hung five years later. Wow. Prime Minister from 1966 to 1977. And again, in January 1980 until her death in 1984. So she was around... When we were younger, uh, you heard her name a lot. Was she related to Gandhi? No, she was not. I looked it up. <laughs> oh, okay. That's what I wondered. I thought maybe Gandhi was her father yeah, or so her did uncle I, or not. something uh-huh. like that. Yeah. Huh. All right. Now, here's one, one question I think might be fun. For years, the most complex machine ever built was the clock. What was the most complex machine ever built prior to the first mechanical clock in the 14th century? We hear these machines, but we've never seen one this big in our lifetime. I guarantee you. It was a pipe organ. Oh. A massive pipe organ installed by Bishop Alfeg in Winchester Cathedral, 950 AD. How big was it, you ask? (laughs) How big? This pipe organ had 400 pipes and 70 men were needed to operate the 26 bellows. That's considered the most complex machine ever built prior to the first clock. You need a pretty big congregation to support that thing. Hey, at least you got music out of it, right? Good Lord. Well, thanks for that, Bob. Okay. (laughs) Captain James Cook was the first European explorer to find what country in 1769 and claim it for Great Britain. Ah, what country? 
because he, he was the first European to make it to Hawaii, and he's an amazing guy. Gosh, what country? I don't know. It was New Zealand. New Zealand. Yeah. Originally, though, New Zealand was discovered by the Maori culture, mm-hmm. and uh, that's where the Pacific culture started in New Zealand. I yeah, did, that's where a lot of the uh, the Polynesians they started settled there. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I and didn't know that. Apparently, the Polynesians traced their DNA back to Taiwan. So it's Chinese. Then they went down to New Zealand, and then they spread throughout the entire ocean, the Mid Pacific Ocean, including Hawaii. And uh, it's just an amazing story, unwritten in a way, because there's not a whole lot of documentation. It's being discovered more and more by genealogists. I'll have a story on that upcoming. Well, uh, what's interesting is, what, the year that Cook discovered that it was 1769. I think they had enough on their hands trying to deal with the United States. (laughs) Oh, here's another country. Let's claim (laughs) this one, right? (laughs) 1769. I got a funny one. You know, we know the MC for the Academy Awards. That's always a big job. They always try to find a comedian, somebody who can yeah. hold the show, they, make it interesting. I think the last one, they didn't even have one. That's right. No one would say yes. Kind of rotating hosts. <laughs> it's become very political. Yes. Okay, who was the MC for the first telecast of the Academy Awards in 1955? Was it wasn't Bob Hope? No, he was. Later. He was later the host for many years. Was it uh, some radio star like George Burns? He or was something? on radio. He was also on television, but he wasn't a comedian. Not, You'll be amazed at this. Okay, Ed Sullivan. No, it was just the thanks, ma'am. Jack Webb, star of oh. Dragnet. <laughs> Why would you make him the first oh. host of the Academy Awards? The now, first TV geez, host. Not a lot of personality there. Yeah, like all right, next category. <laughs> Here's a question okay. related to a book you just recently bought me at the Cedarburg Public Library in their used book room. Uh, all books, $2. But the name <laughs> the name of the book is Do Penguins Have Knees by David Feldman. That's right. I remember getting that saying, hey, this looks like it has some good trivia in it. So you're probably wondering what's the answer to that question, Bob. Do penguins, I would say, of course they, no, they don't have knees. They sure do. Shoot! (laughs) But they're discreetly hidden under their feathers. Penguins, flamingos, and other birds do have knees with patellas, kneecaps, that bend and function much like their human counterparts. You just don't see them because there's all those feathers. I never see penguins at prayer. That's probably why. (laughs) Okay, now, Thomas Edison, tell me, what did he require of all his potential employees before he considered them for employment? Oh, God. What did Thomas Edison require of all of his potential employees before he considered them for employment? Take an oath of silence? No. They had to answer a trivia quiz. (laughs) It was a questionnaire with 150 questions. They included who assassinated President Lincoln, who invented logarithms, and what is the weight of the air in a room 20 feet by 30 feet by 10 feet? So not everybody could do this. Yeah, it's his little IQ test is what it is. So it's estimated that in order to pass one of Edison's quizzes, a person would have needed an IQ of at least 150. So all the people that work for him were very, very brilliant people. And we know the names of only a few of them because of the writings. But yeah, he surrounded himself with basically what today would be considered brilliant engineers. And that's why he had this idea factory. Huh. But, uh, yeah, a kind of a pretty arcane, interesting trivia quiz. Did he devise that test by himself? Apparently. Yeah. The third one would get me. That was like, okay, how (laughs) much? What's the weight of the air in a room 20 feet by 30 feet by 10 feet? I wouldn't work out (laughs) well well here. Let's go from Edison to MTV, okay? Okay. (laughs) 
Name the first music video, Bob, that aired on MTV in 1981. I know the answer to oh. this. It was Music Killed Music Killed the Radio Star, something like that. What was it? It was Video Killed the Radio Star. Video Killed the Radio by Star. By the Buggles. I thought it was such an interesting way to start MTV to say Video Killed the Radio Star. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And its uh, its lyrics refer to the technical changes in the 1960s and the desire to remember the past. Hmm. So that was uh, the Buggles, and who could forget them? Ah, uh, the Buggles. <laughs> <laughs> Not like the Beatles. In their crazy hairstyles, the Buggles. Okay. What happens in the animal kingdom every spring near Narcisse, Manitoba in Canada? What happens in the animal kingdom every spring? Every spring. <laughs> in where? Narcisse or Narcisse, Manitoba. What happens there? Do some birds come back? No. Or take off? Every spring. Lay eggs? Every spring, 70,000 garter snakes gather to mate in a series of sinkholes. Oh, my gosh. So it's an interesting thing. How do they celebrate? Uh, They mate. I know. I mean, the people that live there. No, no. I don't think anybody's really happy with it. Oh, I thought there was a festival. The snakes have the festival. (laughs) Okay. Bob? You remember seeing all those chickens all over the Hawaiian Islands? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Do you remember how they told us they got there? Yes, if you've never been to Hawaii, that's one of the interesting things. All these little chickens everywhere. Uh, Apparently, wasn't it a disaster? It was like a... It was a hurricane or something, and uh, there was a cargo of these chickens, and somehow it got dispersed. Is that what it was? Not according to my sources, who are impeccable. They were brought by the Polynesians in their many canoe voyages to hither and yon. Really? The chickens were brought to the Polynesian islands from Southeast Asia by Pacific Ocean sailors during the Lapita expansion about 3,300 years ago. So they got to... Polynesia via the Chinese, and then the Polynesians canoed them over to Hawaii. In these little, well, they're not little boats from what we understand. They were big boats. So they've been there a long, long time. (laughs) Yeah. Far longer than I thought they'd been. And they're everywhere. Yes, they are. (laughs) God, it's it's like Tyson Chicken Factory everywhere you go. They're kind of cute, actually, though. I mean, I didn't find them bad. And and it's interesting to be there and and hear a rooster crow. It's like, what is this? And of course, just like living anywhere, you get used to them and it's not odd. People, I imagine, that never have seen a squirrel come here and go, what are all those weird things running around your yard? All right. We'll take a break and be back in just a moment. You're listening to Trivia on the Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Okay, we're back. You're listening to Trivia on the Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Okay, Marsha, what old school indoor hobby has roughly doubled in popularity since the coronavirus? Now, here's a hint. It's collecting something inexpensive and non-digital. What old school indoor? That's it, stamp collecting. Now, the way they judge this is if web searches are any indication, the interest has doubled since the pandemic, according to Scott English. He is the executive director of the nonprofit American Philatelic Society. (laughs) And apparently the... Online searches have doubled to 1.2 million since March for his... Yeah, uh, isn't it? I bet you coins uh, are another... Coin collecting is another new thing. Actually, no. No? Coin collecting is the hobby that's been hurt by the coronavirus. That was my other question. Because there aren't any coins being circulated. That's exactly right. The pandemic caused a coin shortage 
So it basically halted the flow of physical money. And the Federal Reserve is even shipping fewer coins to banks these days because it can't find them. You <laughs> can't know, find the banks? <laughs> well, they can't find the coins. They're yeah. tied up in circulation. Huh. Yeah. If you're a collector of copper coins, that's good because copper kills the virus. Yeah, just have them all over your face or something. <laughs> it's crazy glue pennies to your face. One study of copper coins showed that the bacteria Staphylococcus yeah. was reduced by up to 99.5% after 24 hours, depending on the type of coin. Well, that's very interesting. You know, I have a copper bracelet. I should bring that out just yeah. more. It, uh, it's just the nature of copper. It's just uh, one of those natural natural substances that protects you. Okay, now, again, stamp collecting. How far back does stamp collecting go? Any idea? <sighs> well, when was the first stamp? I Aha! Aha! I'll you got, say you're Brit- onto something. Britain, 1789. Britain, May 1st, 1840. And it didn't take long for the hobby of stamp collecting to arise. Uh, Apparently, within a year, a young London lady was letting it be known in a newspaper ad that she was desirous of covering her dressing room with canceled postage stamps. (laughs) Desirous. (laughs) Isn't that funny? Yeah, not like today's ads. Anyway, yeah, so that's how far back stamp collecting goes. Not that far. Oh, yeah. Oh, here's one, Bob. Okay. What Apache chief rode in Teddy Roosevelt's inaugural parade? That was Geronimo. Oh, you know that. Yeah, yeah. Darn, you got two good ones today. Yeah, he was like a celebrity. He was a celebrity because of the uh, Buffalo Bills Wild West show made him well Well, he was still a prisoner of war and had been for 20 years when he was in that parade. Really? Yeah. He was uh, one of the greatest and most feared Apache warriors and medicine man of his time. And then he made his famous appearance... In the uh, inaugural, inaugural parade. parade, riding in that... Uh, what year was that? 1905. 1905. Yeah. Okay, I got a different Gandhi question. Okay. <laughs> Who knew that? Once you get on these... these Once you get these, on like, the Wikipedia rat yeah, holes. Yeah, or... Gandhi, okay. Oh, but here's that. He's the great peace activist, Mahatma Gandhi. Mm-hmm. What was his profession, Bob? He was a lawyer. Oh, you... God, you're just acing it today. He was from India, but he was educated, I believe, in England or in South Africa. England? Both places, I think. Yeah. So he was a very well-educated attorney. Yes. Who went and just went the whole opposite direction, this very (laughs) simplistic life. Uh, Yeah. Champion of peaceful, nonviolent political action. He was born in 1869, and like Indira, he was assassinated in 1948. Okay. Got more questions, Marge? I do. In baseball, why is the pitcher's mound 60 feet and 6 inches from home plate? Wow, that's a, why is it that far? Does that go back to the Knickerbocker Club rules? That's, I think, a New York club that started baseball or one of the first? Is I it? have no idea. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Originally, it was 45 feet from home plate, but mm. that's when they were still doing underhand pitching. And then it was moved back to 50 feet in 1881, but uh, when overhand pitching was legalized... It was moved back to 60 and a half inches in 1893. And why did they keep moving it out? Why? Because of the same reason that fences are moved in. Teams weren't generating enough interest because batters were having a hard time making contact with the ball. Oh, with the pitchers being so close. Yeah, they just uh, were, there was no action on the field. It was just boring. You know, they were struck out all the time. Huh. But uh, And the reason for that extra half, 60 and a half inches, they believe uh, that was an architectural drawing misread that they somebody saw 
60.0 and thought it was 60.6. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> the landscape architects yeah. drawing. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And you said earlier in one of your comments about the, the fences. They had to move the fences in closer, Yeah, so too. that a home run wasn't so far away. So hard to do. Yeah. I'll be darned. And Who that knew? Uh, pitchers went farther out so that the batters had a better chance of hitting that ball. Okay. And I didn't realize there was that much of a change. I knew in basketball they went from peach baskets, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know how many... How many rules James Naismith made for the first basketball games uh-huh. in the YMCA? But uh, something like nine of his rules still apply today, really? even in modern times in basketball. So, yeah, those are that's interesting how things change as a result of uh, activity yeah. uh, in sports. Yeah. All right. As recently as the 1950s, doctors considered this activity dangerous for people over the age of 40. What activity did doctors consider dangerous for people over the age of 40 as recently as the 1950s? For Dangerous for what? Your health or yeah, wealth? Yeah, for or? your health. Uh, what activity? Uh, running. Believe it or not, exercise. Oh, jeez. <laughs> as recently as the 50s, doctors considered exercise dangerous for people over the age of 40. Well, no wonder our, our parents', parents. generation yeah. didn't go out and exercise, didn't go to workout clubs or anything yeah. like that. That was the attitude. So for heart disease, which was then killing a record number of Americans, they prescribed bed rest. Nothing about exercising. Nothing well, about moderate walking. Jeez. No yeah, wonder people well, died. That, that'll kill you. Yeah, bed rest will kill you. No kidding. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's that's interesting. I remember when JFK started pushing yes. uh, people getting more athletic I think and that's gyms. when it changed. It did. You know, it 60s. was a younger president, and yeah. he did this thing. And they, basically, they gave awards to you. Remember at school, they yeah. gave awards, president awards for physical fitness. That's we, when you actually had to do stuff in gym class. That's then. right. It went from nothing to, you know. Oh, my God, God 150 jumping, push-ups. Jumping yeah. jacks. What the hell? <laughs> Since we're on the human potty, well, since I am, let's start at the very beginning, a baby. How long does it take for a baby's vision to equal or exceed an adult's? How long in their development stage? Yes, how oh, long does it well, take? Well, I'll bet it's only six months. Wow, that's perfect. It's actually six months. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, apparently. All right, uh, score I didn't, one for the Marshall. You know, newborn babies have pretty terrible vision, not just... Uh, focusing, but colors too. Newborns have only about 5% of the visual acuity that adults do, but it improves quickly. It takes about six months before they can see as well as a grown-up. But this is interesting. There are some things babies can see better than adults. Up until that six months, a baby can tell monkeys apart. Oh, they see a different color. They, they see an additional color. Well, I don't know what it is. Yeah, that's it. But they see difference. Well, these are things older babies and most adults can't do. Monkeys all look alike to them, but yeah. not little babies. Okay, here's a couple of beetle questions. Oh, oh no, more beetle oh. questions. <laughs> Just make fast ones here, okay? Okay. What demand did the Beatles make about seating fans in their Jacksonville, Florida concert on their first tour in America. That's when they insisted that it be a black and white uh, audience members. You are batting good today. Yeah, because yeah, it was <laughs> going to be a segregated audience, and they right. said they, they would said not. No, they no. will not go on stage if you do that. And that was what the '60s, right? Yeah. And they were still segregated in the South, and they couldn't sit together. And the Beatles said, "Not in our concert. Not in our concert. Good for them. Wow." And this one, I think you know this one. What Hollywood actor invited the Beatles to his Bel Air mansion for dinner and a movie? Well, I know Elvis invited them to yeah, his house. Yeah, but this is a Hollywood actor. Oh, wait a minute. It was Peter Fonda. 
No. Oh, okay. You would think someone like that, right? But Burt Lancaster. Oh, really? <laughs> Burt Lancaster. What was that movie, From Here to Eternity? You know, he's and on he invited the, beach. the Beatles to yeah. his home for now, dinner. There's, now, there's a, you know. I never heard a, that story that they went there, they met him. I never heard anything about that. I never that. did either. That's just a cosmic disruption from my head. I and, he's, and he was a very reticent kind of guy. Like, yeah. come to my house, dinner. You know. <laughs> Tell me about your music. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Those are my two Beatle questions. All right. Another American history question. All All right. right. And this is a religious group we're dealing with here. What American religious group gave us some of our basic household innovations, including the common clothespin and the needle with an eye in the middle? A American religious group. Amish close, but no. The uh, cigar. (laughs) They don't smoke, Bob. Okay. Uh, um, The Mennonites. No. The trying to think. Uh, all right, who? These are people who uh, people accuse them of moving fast when they sang. Say what? <laughs> well, they were accused of, of jitterbugging almost when they had their services. Shakers, the shakers. Oh, the shakers. Yeah, the shakers. They were they were pretty self sufficient. They made uh, all of their own shoes and silk and clothes. They were a utopian religious group that lived in rural communities, mostly in the northeastern U.S., and they invented, now listen to this, they invented the circular saw, which uh, which I think is one of the greatest inventions. You can use it for so many things. Uh The circular saw, the common clothespin, Mm -hmm. an apple parer, the first one-horse buggy in the United States, a four-wheeled dump cart, a rotary harrow, the automatic spring, a washing machine that was later used by hotels, and the needle with an eye in the middle, which was later adapted for sewing machines. Well, aren't they the Necessity clever ones? Necessity was the mother of the Shaker invention. I guess so. They were very <laughs> clever, obviously. Wow. Another fact from Isaac Asimov. So, How about 7-Up, Bob? How did it get its name? 7-Up. I can't remember. Well, despite its identification as a lemon-lime drink, it's actually made up a blend of seven natural flavors. Oh. Which they don't tell you what they are. But that's where the seven came from. And the up, they describe themselves as a product that's uplifting. Okay. <laughs> it uh, Because of the sugar, probably. Probably. And I just read you, seven up promoted as a tonic for our physical and emotional ills. Okay, okay? let's hear it. Yeah. Seven up energizes, sets you up. Dispels brain cobwebs and muscular fatigue. (laughs) (laughs) Brain cobwebs and muscular fatigue. Here's another ad. Fills the mouth, thrills the taste buds, cools the blood, energizes the muscle, soothes the nerves, and makes your body alive, glad, and happy. There's a copywriter went way beyond the assignment, (laughs) don't you think? It's a healer of the world. It's like a COVID cure. (laughs) Some of the original uh, copy for uh, promoting 7-Up, I'll be done. Isn't that funny? That's in the 1920s it came up. In 1929, they introduced 7-Up. Yeah, a lot of the advertising from that time talked about Zippy, Peppy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Apparently, they were very lethargic in the 20s. <laughs> no, they were dancing in the 20s. Everybody was excited. That's right. So yeah. why did they need all these pick I think it was a perfect drink for them. Finally, Bob, what marine animal is the only known natural predator of the great white shark? What marine animal is a predator of the great white shark? The only. The only predator. Besides humans. Is it a whale? It is the orca whale. The orca whale. Yeah. Oh, that's the kind they used to have at SeaWorld and stuff, it's, wasn't it? The orca? I guess so. And the orca is considered top of the food chain. Why? Because they 
kill sharks, I guess. Because nobody kills them except mankind. Oh, no kidding. So they are the top of the food chain. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So there's our Shark Tank answer today <laughs> as we close this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. Join us again next time. If we don't go to Yellowstone for that vacation. (laughs) Okay, we've been there once. I think that's enough. That's enough. I just didn't know about the no man zone. I didn't know about the... Bob, let it go. The dead zone. Bob, bring up the music. All right, all right. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.